got a little more rain last night, an inch and two tenths at my house. Some say that's way too much. We've got too much. But, you know, I don't ever think it's wise that we uh, disgruntledly, in any fashion, receive God's blessings. I know my dad used to say, it's better to be too wet than too dry. At least when it's too wet, the cows can eat. And there's something to it. But that's back in the day when every farmer had a cow or two. So maybe we have to come up with a new phrase. God, in his great wisdom, has a plan. And I don't want to be the one standing in the way of it. But, you know, there's one thing that does get in the way of me, and it gets in the way of a lot of people. It's a very disconcerting thing when you just kind of doze off for a nap or you're deep in thought. The telephone goes, you know, and rings a couple times. And, of course, it's always just a little further than you can reach where you're sitting. So you have to get up and go get it. And then you look at the number, and, oh, Arnold's Park, okay, I'll answer it, hello. Hi, this is Sesame Street, you know, how's your credit card doing? Oh, you know, <laughs> oh, over and over, and you punch in, call block, you know, and a few days later you get the same call, but it's a different number comes up. Well, I think they call that spoofing, is it, where they change the number, you know, so you can no longer ID who's calling you, that sort of thing. It's an aggravating thing. You, you pay good money for a phone system to block the nuisance call, and they come right on through. You know, it's like stopping water with a screen door. It just doesn't work. You know, well, these calls, uh, you know, are not the fault of people that are manning the phone lines. They're making a living, you know. Well, the honest part, we have to kind of insert carefully, but they're making a living trying to sell a product or whatnot. And most of them are credit cards, you know. I still get my student loan calls, you know. They've been done for a long time. <clears throat> Maybe I should go back to college, and then they'd, they wouldn't sound so ridiculous anymore. But a lot of them are charity calls. And now those we're told we can't have the number, you know, the, the do not call list. I guess they're exempt somehow. Well, I don't know about the exempt part, but they sure do call. They want money. So it's, it's a never-ending calling process. Or in the mail, various organizations want money, want money. And it gets to the point where you just don't even want to open any of this stuff. You don't even listen for the second word. You recognize the voice. We get turned off so much. So this morning, we're going to talk about a different side of that coin. It's called begging to give. When's the last time you begged? I mean, earnestly begged, got down on your knees and begged someone that you could give them something. Have you ever done that? Really begged? Really poured out your heart and soul that you might give. Give from the pocket. Or maybe give of your time, or your talents, or whatever your skills are, or something you have. Have you ever really begged to give? This is a total alien thought for people. No, I worked for my stuff. I worked for the money and I used my honest earned gains to buy something. I'm not going to go out on the street and beg someone to take it. No, if they want it, they can at least come and ask for it or call me. Of course, I'll hang up on them, so that isn't going to work. You know, begging to give. This is a subject that I'm sure falls upon a, a part of our mind that hasn't functioned. 
It's, it's just totally alien. We can't even imagine this. And yet that's what Paul is addressing here in the 8th chapter when he's writing to the people at Corinth. He talks about the churches in Macedonia. <clears throat> and he says, "...and for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty..." They're, they're in bad shape, these people in Macedonia. They've had a rough go. The Roman government has been upon them. The weather hasn't played in their favor. It's just been a bad time in their life. And he says, it has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All the negative things have resulted in a great positive. Whatever could go wrong went wrong, and yet that turned into a, a, an overflowing of their generosity. And he says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He's talking about the situation in Jerusalem and Judea. They were also going through a famine. Severe hardship. The Romans, too, there were causing a lot of problems and havoc for the Christians. The Jews were keeping the Romans stirred up against the Christians. It was a rough, rough time. They needed help. And the people of Macedonia, the churches of Macedonia, begged Paul and his men for the privilege of giving to the people in Judea. Begged them. Begged. They didn't say, well, I suppose we could find a few dollars in the budget. Well, maybe if you come back next week. No, they begged for the privilege of helping the saints in Judea. The saints, that was their brothers and sisters in Christ. They recognized that though they shared not bloodline. They shared something more important than the red blood in our veins. They shared the same Spirit, the same Father, and the same Redeemer, Jesus Christ. They were all united in the body of Christ. Paul makes a big deal of this in his other letters where he talks about the parts of the body. Neither, no one part is independent. We are codependent. That's the way God made us. The foot cannot say to the mouth, I do not need you. It, the foot needs the mouth for food. The mouth needs the foot to get to food. It all goes down the line. And so is the body of Christ. We are codependent, mainly upon prayers. To pray for the saints, again and again the Scriptures exhort us that we are of one body, of one Spirit, one Lord, one God. The prayers of the saints should never cease as we pray for our fellow saints, that God would bless them, deliver them, and enrich them in every way that is to their benefit. The people of Macedonia, that is, in the churches, were begging Paul for the privilege of giving inconceivable we might say 
We cannot imagine it. But it happened. That's the way it was. God's Word does miraculous things. It plants good thoughts into minds that never knew a good thought. It gives wonderful ideas to minds that never had any ideas. But it gives to the people that God has redeemed and called an opportunity to serve their God His way. And so the people of Macedonia were begging and giving. Paul explains here that in the situation they were in, they gave according to their means, and he even says even above their means. Much more than you would have expected to receive from a bunch of impoverished congregations. The money came in. These people wanted a part. Do you want a part? We should want a part. For as we grow in Jesus Christ, we realize that we are no different than our brothers and sisters anywhere in the world. We have all been redeemed by the same Savior, the same one Lord, the same God has come down, taken our flesh, and paid the price. That's the motivation. But he also says in the 8th verse, now as Paul writes to the people of Corinth, he says, I say this, I'm saying this, not as a command, and that we must understand. Too often money preaching, stewardship, is preached in the form of a command. And yes, we are to give. We are to support our congregations. We are to support honorable, charitable organizations. That's part of our duty. But what Paul is talking about goes far beyond that. It is not something that he would command, for it would lose its beauty. There is nothing more beautiful than when love is freely dispensed and given when it's not even looked for. Much as a grandparent or a parent would bestow upon a little child, you can't really explain the love that is there, but it flows, usually. But the love that is between Christians far exceeds that kind of love. We have a bond established by the blood that was poured upon the ground there at the cross. This bond has been cemented by holy blood, a bond that is nourished one to another and another to another. And as he says, this is not to place a burden on anyone. Thus he says, it's not a command. No, it must be totally free will. It must be totally motivated by what is in the heart, faith in Jesus Christ. For if there is not faith in Christ Jesus, the absolute faith and certainty that Jesus Christ paid for my sins, there is no way I can understand what Paul is speaking about. It is no wonder that the Bible is mocked, torn apart, made fun of, 
called ridiculous, called worthless trash. For the people of the world cannot understand a level of love that the Bible speaks of. Only one who has had their heart opened and therein where Jesus Christ lives can they begin to understand this kind of love. A love for a people you've never met and never will. A love for the people that you would give your last dollar and do it joyfully. The people of Macedonia are held up as a model. Here in the early church, as the Spirit of God was already so active, doing mighty wonders, wonders the world would never conceive of or believe, the church believed. The church saw it, and then they began to imitate it, carrying on this wonderful act of love for one another. It's not a command, but it's a free giving. It's an absolute, total free giving of self, recognizing what Jesus Christ has done. <clears throat> and he says, so now finish doing it as well. He's saying to them, Corinthians, some of you have begun this type of giving. And he says, so now finish it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It's kind of a beautiful finish there as Paul ties this little package together. He begins by talking about this free giving of, from people in poverty. People who are being persecuted by their government. They're very downtrodden, and yet they give to their last ability for other Christians. Now the Corinthians, some of them had begun to imitate this. They also had begun to give in such manner. And Paul's saying, continue it, complete it. Do just as they have. But he says now, don't worry about how much you're giving. This is an important concept for a Christian to understand. It's not how much we're giving, but it's what we're giving it from. We often hear the excuse, I'd love to do this for the church, and maybe someday I can when my ship comes in. That ship will probably never sail, let alone make port. A Christian gives from the point where he is at. If you have two nickels, that's enough to give from. If you give one penny from two nickels, the Lord is happy. The Lord will bless it. That's much better than the man who has millions and gives a mere 10,000 or so and does it grudgingly. No, he's telling the people of Corinth, just focus on one thing. Focus on what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ was rich, but he became poor, that we may become rich. Christ had everything. He had everything. He was God. 
He possessed all things. He made all things. But he gave it up to take our place. He became the poorest of poor. He even became cursed beyond being cursed. He had to suffer the indignity of a crucifixion. It was he who had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. This is the Christ. This is his work. But he was raised on the third day. His body was raised by the almighty power of God. And the people of Macedonia understood that. They understood that just as God has overcome death in the person of his son, God shall overcome death in the person of each believer. Thus what we have now is of insignificance. Rather, instead, we have the privilege of serving our God with whatever God has given us, be it little or be it much. It's the giving from the right, clean heart which God alone can establish. To be imitators of the Macedonians, that'd be wonderful. It doesn't just happen, though. A person must grow. We must grow in the Word. Day by day, as God erases doubts from our mind, wonderments, beginning with that doubt that we don't have enough, we've got plenty. We are blessed beyond measure. The poorest of poor in this town is richer than those in many lands. We've got plenty. Unfortunately, as long as we walk around wearing clothes and we have this flesh hanging upon our bones, we will also have plenty of excuses for not serving God in His way. But God is patient. God continues to nurture us. He nurtures us this morning through word, through sacrament. He reminds us again that His death on the cross is sufficient. We have been redeemed. We are children of God. And now we have joined in God's work. Work for our fellow saints, our brothers and sisters, wherever they are in the world. And we do it freely and joyfully, begging for the opportunity to give, looking for our missions. In the name of Jesus, who gave his life, who gave it all, that we might be rich. Amen. May the peace of God which passes our human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.